Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. building God was using our church in so many ways now having space allows us to do even more whether it's women's events men's events uh, anything our, our Wednesday night worship I mean as simple as that our Wednesday night worship and prayer we're able to do and be able to do it good um, so the big decision we have is what are we doing next and my thought is we should do it all do we get an amen, amen. no seriously we should do it all amen all in, we make this happen. All in, we make this happen. Uh, I also want, just I know first service, we had some kids in the service. I had talked to Megan. She had set some stuff in the back that if your kids are in here, great. But if they feel like they're getting restless, we have stuff that you can draw on the back. You can watch the message. But we want to be fair to you, uh, all you families that are here with your children. So we love kids, right? Amen? Amen. Right? So it's just good for us to know. So today, we are finishing up our sermon series, one of five. We are going through the Gospel of Mark. And instead of just exegeting the book, which means taking it verse by verse, section by section, we see that there are like five main themes that we want to wrestle with. And the first one is discipleship. And this is our final week in our mini-series on discipleship. We saw the calling of Simon and Andrew and James and John. We saw the calling of Levi. We saw this whole hard question last week, like, like who is your mother and brother, right? Some hard stuff. But yet, this invitation that Jesus invites people into. So how many of you have a favorite verse out there? Anyone? Anyone have a favorite verse? Anyone have a plaque in their house deliberately because they love that verse? Or a favorite mug that has a Bible verse on it, right? Okay? Anyone, like, if I were to say, like, what is that one verse that has radically changed your understanding of God and who you are as a child of God? So when we went through this whole discipleship series and we were prepping it out, we're actually going to end with a passage that radically changed my life at the age of 21 at the age of 20 I went on a retreat and on this retreat I went away with a bunch of strangers I was living in Wheaton Illinois any Wheaton Illinois people out there they get a woot woot right some of you went to Wheaton College some of you know Wheaton Illinois first service there were several of them so it didn't work this service um, I was playing football out there I was getting my do-over that God gave me to get my academics and my athletics right and I was going to a church out there and I was young and I was spiritually hungry and I'll never forget that a pastor a local pastor had told me when he saw this new fire in my life he literally said to me don't worry that flame will die down yeah knucklehead right and I remember staring at him and saying oh boy you just threw another log on it because as emotional as I was back then I am just as emotional right now I'm just refined. She just laughed. She just giggled. <laughs> but I'm refined. But I went away on this weekend. And during this weekend, we looked at this one passage that radically has shaped who I am. 
Let me show you a picture of who I was back then. You want to see, I look a little different right now. I'm the guy in the middle. That was my football days. These were two, someone goes, ooh, right? (laughs) These were two of my closest friends, Derek McBride and Matt Ragsdale. Two young men that in some ways gave me permission to run hard after Jesus. Two young guys that that when we all met, we had that same fire in us that that Jesus was going to drive us to call us to do whatever he has for us. Now, I bring this up because in all of our lives, God is wanting to invite us into something really deep. And what we've been looking at is we've been looking at discipleship. We've been talking about these kairos moments, these divine encounters where the Holy Spirit shows up to wake us up, to respond to him. That we would be able to have two things happen. A metanoia. Anyone sick of that word yet? Anyone, right? Metanoia. How many have used that word several times over the last four weeks? Anyone? How many of you said it to yourself, right? The changing of our minds. When Jesus said repent, he said, change the way you think. We think about repentance as a feeling, like feeling guilty or feeling bad that we did something wrong. No, repentance may have emotions with it, but true repentance is a changing of perception, a changing of, pers- of the idea of how we view God, how we view in ourselves in light of him, and then how we choose to live next. You see, that's all that, that repentance is, is that we have a change of mind that changes the course of our life forever. And so... When Jesus said repent, he said change the way you think. Change the way you view me and the way you view yourself as a child of God. I say this all the time. The moment you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you are no longer a sinner saved by grace. That's who you were pre-Jesus. Now you are a saint who is going to wrestle with sin. Amen? Think about that that perception, that perspective change. When I had that in my life, it changed the course of my life. That I'm no longer addicted to things. I no longer have to be determined by what other people say I do or even allow habits to determine what I will do next. But rather, I'm a child of God. And God's going to reshape everything in my life. You see, repentance is about changing our mind, changing the way we think. But then he says, believe. Believing means I'm acting on that which Jesus is changing in my life. That's all it is. And we've complicated the gospel so much. When you have this divine moment, when you have this new perception of who Jesus is, who God is, and who you are in light of him, it almost takes the course of your life and puts it in the right direction. So Jesus says, come, follow me. Change the way you think. Let me teach you how to really, really live. How freeing is that? Isn't that awesome? I mean, we go go to church and people just like hit us over the head with a Bible. It's not what we do. The Holy Spirit's the one that does the transformation in our lives. But there's an invitation. 
And there's an invitation that as a young 20-year-old that I had read from the words of Jesus that has radically shaped who I am today. And I know that it has shaped millions of people around the world. But what I get frustrated at as a pastor is why are there certain passages we jump over? Why are there certain passages that we don't like to read? Why are there certain words of Jesus that we just kind of like expel that they don't have anything to do with the present? Because if I truly want to know what Jesus has for me, why Jesus died for me, I need to look at his words, allow his words to change my mind so I can follow him. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to end our little mini-series on discipleship at looking at a call of Jesus that if you respond today, life becomes the best. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. And God, I ask you for a Kairos moment this morning. I ask you for a change of mind for someone. I ask you that you would just calm my soul down to be able to communicate in a way that, that literally everybody can just take a real personal inventory this morning. Holy Spirit, I release you in this room. You've put me in a place of leadership. You've put me in a place of spiritual authority. And I ask that you would release yourself to open our hearts to what you have next for each one of us, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me to Mark chapter 8, 34 through 38. If you don't have your Bibles, you know what's on the screen behind me. But as pastors, we all got to say that, right? Um, but I want you to look at the beginning of this verse. It says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said. So when you oftentimes, you see Jesus doing big, large gathering teachings, he would teach and preach in parables, right? Heavenly stories with an earthly, uh, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. So my kids learned at Eastern Christian, right? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. And so oftentimes what would happen is Jesus would give these parables and then he would turn around and say, hey, at the campfire, we'll talk about its meaning. But now it's Mark chapter 8. It's towards the end of Jesus' ministry and towards the end of Jesus' life. And there's this crowd and his disciples. And now what he's about to do is he's going to about to just get down to the point. Because everybody's literally asking him like, what does it mean? What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Matter of fact, if you look at this passage and you go back five verses, he actually shares about his death, that he was going to have to be put to death. And it's one of those scenarios when, when Peter didn't like what he said. And so he brings the crowd together, and he brings his disciples. And this passage has revolutionized every aspect of who I am today. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose?
Cleanse your own souls. Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. That was an intense weekend. And so when I thought about this passage, for three days I wrestled with it. For three days, the, the preacher just kind of dissected dissected it and said, laid it out for us. And I remember at the end of that retreat, getting on my knees and just saying, I'm in. I'm in. Whatever you have for, for me, Jesus, I am in. But if you just read this for tongue-in-cheek and you read it over and over and over again, you, you kind of miss out on the, on the deeper, deeper meaning. And so what I want to do is I want to dissect this, this passage for you. Because Jesus was very deliberate in his words. That he was inviting not only his disciples, but the crowd to fully experience the very reason and purpose why each one of them was created. The first thing he says is, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. It's pretty intense. Matter of fact, when I read this the first time, I read it in the NIV. And there's definitely a reason why we read the NLT, because I, I really feel like the language and the verbiage and even some of the wording is more understandable than even the NIV. The NIV says, you must deny yourself. So there's two different ways to look at this. Denying self and giving up your own ways. Very similar, right? In theory, but yet when you really dissect the two different words, they have the same meaning yet in a different manner. You see, as a young 20-year-old, when it said, deny yourself, what do you think I was thinking about? All the externals. I can't drink, right? Good Christians, they don't drink. They don't smoke. They don't dance. I mean, that's how I grew up, right? If you grew up Pentecostal, that's how you grew up, right? Unless you were Italian, and then you were allowed to drink. So all of our Italian Christian friends were allowed to drink. Someone just said, woo, right? right? But if you weren't Italian, you couldn't drink right? But there was this theory that I'm just supposed to stop doing everything. I just have to deny myself, deny myself. Who am I hanging out with? What am I doing? And all these different things. Now, there is some truth to that. There are things in our life that we have to stop doing. There are some unhealthy people that lead us down a bad path. Do I get an amen? amen. There are some really bad habits that each one of us have picked up throughout our journey of life, that Jesus is saying, stop. Anyone have any of those? A couple people, right? Anyone have any of those? All of us, right? But, but, but it's, it's deeper than that. And, and that's where I really believe that, that we need to look at this understanding of what does Jesus mean when he says, give up your own way. Give up your own way. In my immaturity, I was thinking about all the externals that I had to stop dealing with or doing. But in my maturity, 
as I have grown over the last 31 years of my faith, Jesus has showed me that it's really the perception of the heart. The ways in which my soul has been functioning since the moment I was born. The moment that I was brought into this life and raised by human beings, that there were perceptions that he was saying that you need to learn to give up how you perceive things. And this is what I've learned over the past 31 years of my faith in Jesus, is that every human heart has three pillars. Every human heart. And this is where it gets down to the really the, the heart of the matter, the three S's. Significance, success, and security. And when I think about what Jesus is asking us to hand over to him, to give up our own ways, there are three things. Significance. So when we think about the significance, we, we define our significance in relationship to what we can do, our talents, and how we have left a mark, our time, Right? All of the things to find significance in our life is based on my talents and how I use my time. I mean, think about when someone passes away. It's like they lived a really good life. They did a lot of good in this world. Is that the gospel? The gospel of goodness? That the way that I use my, my time and talents really determines how God views me and welcomes me and accepts me? That's not the gospel. That's the gospel of humanity, of humanism. I mean, think about a horse. When, when I was in junior high, I've always had an affinity for horses. I, I, I kind of scare Sue and say, I can't wait till we get a pet horse. She's like, huh? <laughs> where, where are you going to put it? I'm like, the living room. There's enough room, right? But, it, but, it's, but when you feed a horse... If you don't have controlled feeding, that horse will kill itself. And it's the same thing with us, that we live in a world just like in ancient biblical times, that we drive ourselves by the things that we can, what we can do and how we can do it and how we've left a mark. And Jesus is challenging the people saying, where do you find your significance? Where do you find your significance? In your vocation? In parenting? In your hobbies? Where do you find your significance? And are you willing to find your significance in me? I was a young man, 20 years old was playing college football. I was 6'5 at the time. I say that because I had spinal damage. Now I'm 6'3 and a half. So by the time I'm 80, I'm going to be Yoda. I'm going to walk in and no one's going to recognize me. Hey, who's the new guy? It's me, Rob. Right? And, and I thought I had all the greatest motives. I was tall. I was fast. I was even dunking a basketball at 305 pounds. That's pretty impressive, right? Like, literally, I was told, like, the league, and if you know what I'm talking about, the league is the NFL. I had all the intangibles that I was told, and I had to come to a place 
that am I willing to give up my human talents for the things of Jesus? And I remember I just said, Jesus, whether it's here, there, or anywhere, I give you that which I define my significance in. Think about that. But then what about success? Think about the word success. As we define it, it is related to goals. If you aren't reaching your goals, we consider ourselves failures. Do I get an amen? Or the Christian way to say amen is mm-hmm. Do I get an mm-hmm? Right? Do I get an mm-hmm? Right? We define our success by our goals. The problem is what happens if there's something blocking our goals? What do we do? Do we get angry? Do we cheat? Do we steal? Do we manipulate? What do we do when our goals are blocked? Because there will be goals in your life that you will have blocked. And the question is, what do you do with it? How do you handle it? Playing college football. I have major spinal damage. I'll never forget the day that I, that I hurt my neck for the first time playing college football. It was the scariest, one of the, one of the most scariest moments in my life. What happens when my goals are blocked? And so we have these pillars in our heart, significance, right? Simon Peter, fisherman, he wanted his business to be as big of, if not bigger, than James and John's, right? Multiple fleets. He was angry. He gets up one day and he doesn't catch anything and he's mad at everybody, including God. But then there's a third pillar. It's called security. I love understanding security in this way because I really think sometimes we, we think security in the positive, but actually security is something we do because of, because of a fear in our hearts. It's a degree of protection against danger and loss. Do you know that? As much as you're saying that you're building a home and, and you want to put money away and, and you want to send your kids to a good college and you want to do all these things, the reality is, is our security is always built on the fear of not having enough. Do I get a mm-hmm? Right? And so we have this, this fear in us that God won't provide. And if we're really being honest, we take our, our significance and our success because those two things determine our security. And so the more successful I am, the more I live in that place of identity and my significance determines how secure I will be. The problem is when you determine your security on those things that are temporary, which is significance, something that's out of your control, and success, something that's really, really out of control, it puts you in a spiral place of learning to live in a complete place of control. And Jesus says, give up your own ways. Give up your own ways. And follow me. And when I think about this, there's such a place where we have to come to a place of perception. When Jesus asks us to follow him, he asked his disciples and us to have a change of mind. 
to give up this unhealthy hunger of self-gratification. He's asking us to give up this this unhealthy perception of unhealthy self-gratification that is centered on our security, our success, our significance. My one buddy, Derek McBride, had the privilege of, of trying out for several NFL teams. My buddy Matt on the other side, he actually went to a combine as a punter. He knew he would never make the NFL being a lineman. He wasn't fast enough. He wasn't big enough. He wasn't strong enough. He was an amazing high school player who was having a good college career. And so he switched his position and he became a punter. And he went to several different combines to just kind of make the league. Because for all of us, even as followers of Christ, we had a place that we wanted to use our time and our talents thinking that we had God's best agenda for us. And I remember when I had my spinal injury. It was one of those days that really brought this passage. Am I willing to give up what I believed was my best? for actually God's best. And that's a hard lesson to learn when you're 21 years old. When your family and your high school and your college and even your coaches say, this really is a real potential for the trajectory of your life. And yet all along the way, I kept saying, Jesus, I want your way, not mine. And there's a place in each one of us. Are we willing to truly give up our own ways for what God has best? Look what Jesus says next. He says, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. I I actually believe that this is one of the most misinterpreted phrases in all of Scripture. Because what we believe this says is that Jesus is saying, pick up my cross, meaning his cross. Do you really think you can pick up his cross? Anyone? Does anyone want to pick up his cross? Right? Sinless. Takes the weight of all of humanity on his shoulders. Does anyone want to be crucified? Do I get an amen? No, everyone said no, right? No one said amen, right? But this is what Jesus says. Pick up your cross. You see, each one of us has a cross to be picked up. Because when you look at the cross of Christ, this is what it's wrapped up into. Jesus was given purpose. Amen? It wasn't just to come down here and hang out and party with with Levi and his buddies. He had purpose. The cross is an image of purpose. That God created you with purpose. The cross is is a symbol of, of the ultimate sacrifice. That we're willing to literally sit under the authority of God so that we can live out the things that God has created each one of us for. 
And then the cross is the greatest form of the ultimate form of love. What better thing to do than lay down your life for another? And so when Jesus talks about, about the cross, he's saying, pick up the cross. Pick up the purpose for why Jesus, why, why God created you. Pick up the cross. Learn to, to give things up so you can pick up the things of God that he has for you that are going to shape and define and speak to your future. Pick up your cross that you are going to learn the ultimate form of love. To lay down your heart, your emotions, your life. For another. You know my greatest example of Jesus is? That little cutie in the corner. The ultimate form of love is how we sacrifice for others because of how Jesus sacrificed for us. And when Jesus says, put down your ways, put down your perceptions, put down your unhealthy understandings of how you have viewed yourself and have viewed others, pick up new eyes to see, a new heart to beat, a new feet to have you moving forward. And when I got that moment, it changed everything. Matter of fact, as a college football player, I actually hit harder. How cool is that? I was going to take people's heads off for Jesus. I'm like, I'm going for it. He's gifted me for this season to play college football. But yet, I was the first guy to pick someone up. Love you, man. Didn't mean to take your helmet off. But as I grew in maturity, I realized that every single step and every single pathway that he has put me on, what is his purpose? What is he actually always inviting me to give up so I can pick up something better for my soul? And how am I loving people along the way? Jesus is giving us an invitation to find our true identity in him. Significance by recognizing God has given me talents, gifts, and the time to focus on the things he cares most about. People and their ability to know him. Reor reorienting our definition of success. What do I do and why do I do it? All of our vocations are our gospel vehicles. Do you realize that? If you are a teacher, that is your gospel vehicle. Shane, who was just on stage, works for Samsung. If you know Shane Higby, he is one of the most humble men on the planet. And yet he is a big dog in Samsung. But you would never know it. Because his vocation is his gospel vehicle. There are doctors, there are nurses, 
There are financial advisors in our churches. There are business owners. We have one guy who owns a business who, who makes all the different parts for, for Caterpillar uh, uh, what are they, uh, tractors and John Deere tractors. And he has a business and he hires people. So that's his gospel vehicle to give people jobs. And so the kingdom of God can move forward. Are we reorienting our understanding of success? Are we reorienting our understanding of our, of our talents and our times? Yes, I wish I would have had a several years in the NFL. It would have been a blast. But I would not be using the gifts and talents that God has given me best. Do you know that? Security, trusting that God provides for all of our needs according to his riches and his glory. Have you ever come to a place of security where you've really learned to trust Jesus with all things? Do you give out of your abundance or do you give out of fear? Whether it's to the church or the person who's struggling on the side of the road. When you see someone who is down and out, do you, do you actually point that that's their problem and their circumstances or do you actually say how do I have an opportunity to be Jesus to that individual think about it are you able to reorient the things that God has for you that you put down your understanding of significance and success and security to pick up God's true identity that he's called you into that all your time and all your talent would be used for the things of God, even in your place of work? Are you willing to really redefine success? What happens at your job if you had 20 people come to Jesus this year and you didn't get a bonus? Are you okay with that? Come on. Do I get an amen? amen. What about a Bergen County? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Think about it. Why do you do what you do? And security, reorienting every single thing in your life so the kingdom of God can move forward. Yes, I'll bring it up. The building. People who have been reorienting their lives have provided for a means for this church to be here right now. Are you participating in a way that you are reorienting your understanding of your security so that this whole community can come to Jesus? Right? Those are hard things. And what's even sadder is that we don't talk about this. We avoid this stuff in Bergen County. I know I grew up in Bergen County. We look at Christianity as, as better morality. Five steps to a healthier marriage. That's the sermon series, right? Five better ways how to communicate with, with others. When you study the Gospels and you study the Old Testament, you learn through the trials and errors and the successes of others. You see, morality, as I've said a million times, is only based on the society in which you live in. Jesus calls us to the, to the highest form of holiness to know him and make him known. And in our brokenness, he consistently picks us up and shows us the path that we are to walk on. Yes, I have failed a zillion times. And every time I fail, he is there picking me up. Come on. This is not a do-over. We're going to move forward from here.
This is not a do-over. We're moving forward from here. You're going to learn from what you failed from, and we're going to keep this baby going. That's how my Jesus talks to me. And the big question that we need to ask, I mean, think about the, the verbiage towards the end. The real question is what matters most. What good is it, he says, to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? If you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. I mean, seriously, Jesus? This is the greatest passage to grow your church. Yeah, right. Let's see who comes back next week. Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? If you're ashamed of me, I'm ashamed of you. What really matters? What really matters in your life? Knowing and living in the will of God, does that really matter to you? When you're woken up in the middle of the night, what do you think about? Because the things that matter to us are the things we think about, the things we talk about, the things we, we spend our time and talents on, and even the things that we spend our money on. If we were to take a microscope and look at each one of our lives, we would be able to say, like, what really matters to each of us? And I get this. Because as a pastor, you know, I got to be careful that my significance does not come in the form of how successful the plant is. You know that? That's a wrestle. That's a wrestling. That just like you in your vocation, I have the same pressures that the enemy puts on my heart that he puts on your heart. matters most because the things that matter most are the things we talk about we think about we invest in the way we live reflects what really matters you know one of the things they say in this area is that many people do not want to be pastors in Bergen County do you know that and right now, more than ever, there is a, a loss of people in ministry than any time in the history of Christianity. More people are leaving the public pulpit because of the pressures that society and church members have put on them. Do you know that? Do you know how many friends that I went to seminary with or college with that aren't even in the ministry? Do you know how many people that have walked away from being pastors and say, I'll be someone in the pew because the expectations are so much different? And one of the reasons why they do not want to shepherd in the Bergen County area is because everything I am talking about comes into conflict with each of our souls in a different manner. You see, when you minister to the poor, and I have, I used to do ministry in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, anyone I would give the time of day to would just eat it up. Any way that I can help, from the littlest thing to something even a little bit bigger, they would just eat it up. Think about the middle class. The middle class churches, their, their whole goal is networking. How do I go to church? How do I get ahead? How do I find people that are going to help me be more successful? And how are some tips to use my, my, my talents better? 
But the tension is for upper middle class America. And no matter where you are on the financial food chain, that's how you are perceived. How do you minister to people who have everything? How? How do you honestly minister to people that have everything? I've said this 400 times, probably more. I told Jesus, send me anywhere in the world but Burton County. <laughs> and I've said this. When I go to heaven, we're having a really hard conversation. I'm going to be like, God, behind the curtain now. Go behind the curtain now. We are going to talk this baby out. But it's been the greatest joy. Because I'm a Bergen County kid, through and through. You see, here are the questions that, that I have formulated that we have to wrestle with. Each one of you are here because you want to be here, amen? amen? Do you know what a privilege it is to know that you want to come hear me speak? Sometimes I'm like, they're not coming back. Not after that Sunday. They're out of here. They all think I'm just like a crazy, emotional lunatic, right? No, I, I really do. I thank you for trusting the pulpit in which I preach from. Because my only desire is that you would experience the things that God has done in my heart and ask the hard questions. Question one, how do we raise our kids to know their identity in Christ rather than the pressures put on them that shape an unhealthy perception of self? Do I get a mm-hmm? Right? you don't like saying amen, just say, mm-hmm. It, it's true for all of us. For all of us. There are so many well-intentioned Christians out there that want their kids to know Jesus, but do they want their kids to give their lives up for Christ? Think about that. Your kids, if they're going to public school or even Christian private school, there's this unhealthy pressure of academia, which is something we all need, that the better the school, the better the job, the more money, the more security, the more I'll get my talents and my time used best. And we as parents often push that. And we are all guilty of it, including Sue and I. As our kids went through this whole, like, kind of figuring out where they go to school, what university, what colleges, there is that pressure. Go to the best, the biggest. And yet, Jesus is saying, the main role that you have as a parent, or when you are a parent, or if you want to be a parent, is to shape your child's identity of who they are as a son or daughter of God. That's it. That's it. And let everything else fall in place. And yet you're called to live in this. Question two, how do we love our neighbors as ourselves in an area of trying to keep up with the Joneses? Seriously, who has wanted a new car in the past year? Do I get a mm-hmm? Come on, who wanted a new car? Right? How many of us believe we deserve a new car, right? I did. I went out and got myself a new car. I turned 50. I turned 50, right? I turned 50. I deserve this, right? There, there's this, this thing, but let's be honest. When people in our life, when they fail, we're like, oh, that's too bad. Yes, I can take their position. 
right? Yeah, it's true. How many times in your own soul at your place of vocation that you have celebrated just a little bit when a position was opened up and someone was fired? Come on. There we go. Let's talk humanness. Let's talk the, let's talk the depravity of the human heart. Because we are tired and we are terrified of failure. And Jesus is saying, I got you right where I want you. I've given you the time and the talents to do all the things that you are called to. And everything that you are going to do in your position, I'm going to get the glory. I said this for this first service. What would happen if this year you didn't get a bonus or a raise? Who are you going to be mad at? God. But what would happen if instead of getting a bonus or a raise, 20 people in your office came to Jesus? What would happen? Think about that. I, I know, but it's inflation. Come on, God. Can't you just give me a little bone, a little bonus? Right? These are real heart questions that God has called you into. God has called you to Bergen County, New Jersey, so that your vocation is a gospel vehicle for other people to know Christ just as you do. Think about that. And then the last question. How do we learn to allow the power of God to flow through us amid our work, school, and home environments? How? How? Daddies, mommies, have you made space to coach your kids? Not so that your kid only does better, but that your kid knows that they are loved and appreciated by you, and you get to be that that, that parent, that role model, that mentor to someone else on the team who doesn't have a loving and caring parent. What's your motives for coaching? Right? I've gone through this pressure. My one son was a killer athlete. All-state soccer two years in a row. And I'm not even a soccer player. Don't you think that fed my ego a little bit? I was coaching him, and he wanted to style, like, I think I wanted his thousand points more than he did. And I had to check my ego out the door. Whose ways? His ways or my ways? And this is a wrestling match that we have for all of eternity until we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The question is what really matters. The things of self-success or understanding who we are as a child of God and learning to follow Jesus. That's the real question. Do I want to live in the identity for why I was created, the purpose I was created for, and live the fullness of life that he's already established in all of eternity? God knows what I'm going to accomplish no matter what. But am I going to accomplish it my way or his way? And as a young 20-year-old, this was the passage that set the course of my life. And I think when Jesus talked like this, he smiled. Come. Give up your own ways. They're not working. 
You're not sleeping good. You're anxious. You've caused yourself health problems. Give up your own ways. Pick up what I've already had planned for you in all of eternity and follow me. Come, learn what matters most. When I see Jesus talking to me, I see him smiling at me and inviting me to the best. Not something that's good, not something that's better, but that which is best. And I want on that day that I stand before Jesus and says, Rob, well done. You gave up. You gave up your definition of significance and success and security, and you embraced what I had for you. Well done. And when I die, I want it to be the end of my race. That I finished what he began. Isn't that the ultimate form of life? Allowing God to finish that which he started. That's it. And imagine, here in Bergen County, if there was a remnant of people that really ran after Jesus in such a way, do you realize that we would revolutionize the world? The homeless would be fed. I believe disease would be eradicated in certain ways because of all the Christian doctors that are running after Jesus to really understand what's going on with the human body and even the environment around us. We'd see things shift in society. Let me finish with these three things. Jesus is inviting you to trade in your definitions of significance success and security today so you can learn his definitions of significance success and security it's the invitation that he gives to every single one of us the question is do we receive it or not two Jesus only asks us to pick up something better that changed my life The moment that I realize that whenever Jesus asks me to put something down, it's always to pick up his best. His best. His best. His best for my life in this season is to be here. His best in my life is to pastor this church now. Whether that's for another 14, 20, 10, however long to pastor this church, that's his best now. But whatever his best is for my life, I want to follow it, and I will only know his best if I continually lay down my need and my hunger for significance, success, and security from the world's eyes and find it in him. What is your best? And are you willing to pick it up? Right here, right now. 
Well, I'm afraid what he will ask me to do. I would be more afraid of missing what he has in store for you. I would be more afraid of missing what he has in store of you. Well, he might. He might. He might ask you to quit your job and go get another job somewhere else because it's unhealthy for you. It's created an unhealthy environment for you to work in. He may. He may say, no, you're not leaving. You're going to stay. And you're going to be Jesus in the present. What matters most? The question is, do you trust him? And for 31 years, I've had to learn to trust Jesus. And my prayer is that I get another 31, and I learn to trust him even better. And we will fight. I woke up one night, I said, let's have a Jacob moment, Jesus. Let's go to war. I'll wrestle you right now, because I don't like what you're doing in my life. I did that. And I've done it. And I'll do it again. But my prayer is that Jesus always wins in my life. Plant family, you are called right now to be right where you're at at this time. And all he's saying is surrender your ways and pick up your identity and who you are as a child of God so you can live in the very purpose why you were created. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. We're going to take communion. Because Jesus only preached on how he lived. He gave up his ways. He picked up his cross for the sake of all humanity. And when we take the communion elements, when we take the communion elements, this is what we are saying to Jesus. I receive the invitation to lay down my perceptions to pick up the very identity that you have for me. Let's eat together. Let's drink together. So here's how we're going to close. I remember being at that retreat and there was a call. There was a call to follow. For some of you, you need to stand up and raise your hands, maybe for the first time ever in worship. For others, you just need to stay where you're at. For some of you, you just need to kneel where you're at. And if you need to, come to the altar. But this is your moment. This Kairos moment. Where Jesus is saying, come. Follow me. Amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.